It's always fun to hear a child's take on things. No offense, adults, but children are my favorite humans. I'm going to read just a sentence from a sentence or two from a, a few letters that children have in the past sent to their pastors. This is from Patty. She's 10 years old. Dear Pastor, I'm sorry I can't leave more money in the plate, but my father doesn't, didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you please have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? Love, Patty. Here's Loreen. She says, Dear Pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. <laughs> Pete, he's nine years old, and he says, Dear Pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. Sincerely, Pete. Alexander, 10 years old, says, Dear Pastor, please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. Thank you, Alexander. And then there's one from Joshua that says, Dear Pastor, my father says I should learn the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to because we have enough rules already in my house. And my favorite, Dear Pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. Signed, Ralph. <laughs> Then there was a Sunday school teacher who held up a picture of Jesus. She explained that the to the class that it wasn't an actual photo because they didn't have cameras back then. It was just an artist's idea of what Jesus might have looked like. And the little girl says, but you've got to admit, teacher, it looks a lot like him. <laughs> to a child, a picture of, a chi of who Jesus is is very clear. Since they were little, they've seen that picture that we're all familiar with that hangs in several places here in our church and probably in most of our houses, you know, the long hair and uh, the, you know, the little beard. And, you know, there's just that, uh, that certain concept we've got of what Jesus looks like. So that picture that's on the wall must be what Jesus looks like. That's what we think. To some of us, the teachings of Jesus seem just as clear the simple gospel, so easy to understand. The simple gospel because we sometimes forget how much difficulty that his teachings gave to his disciples back in his day when Jesus was here. It's easy for us to look back and analyze and figure it all out. But these were, his disciples were not ignorant or stupid people. They were intelligent people, but yet they often ask Jesus to explain what he meant by what he said. Because when he wasn't talking in parables, he was talking in paradoxes. And what may seem so simple to some people now, because we're looking back at it, was very confusing at the time to people who were close to him. And today, only after lots of reflection and with the Holy Spirit guiding us, we can understand what the meaning of Jesus' words were not fully understand them, but have an idea at least of what he meant. And we see in some of his parables and some of the paradoxes that he spoke, good principles for successful living in this world today. I want to talk to you about three of those paradoxes today. 
And may I suggest that they could be keys to an abundant life here on this earth. Now, don't let the word paradox scare you. It just means a statement that sounds contradictory, but actually holds a great truth. That's what a paradox is. One of the best-known paradoxes is found in today's lesson from the Gospel of Mark when it says, Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here it comes. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. It sounds contradictory. Whoever loses his life will save it. And yet, those are some of the truest words that were ever spoken. There are three paradoxes that I want to talk about today. These paradoxes are important to get an understanding, as I said, of this abundant life that God has promised us. The first paradox is this. Anything you save will be lost. What? Well, a dad talked about an experience. He said, one day a couple of years ago, I picked my 14-year-old son up who was, completing, who was competing in a track meet. I wasn't there, probably should have been, when he ran the race. But I was able to go and pick him up after the race. And as he walked to the car, I could tell before he ever got to the car that he'd not done well. He'd certainly not won the race. That morning he had told me, Daddy, I feel really great. I had a good night's sleep. I'm training. I feel like I'm ready and I'm really going to do well today. Maybe even win. He doesn't normally do too well in track. I think he's won two races in three years that he's been running. And that day as he came to the car, I could see that it had not gone well. I thought, well, let's get it over with. And I said, how'd you do? He said, the worst I've ever done. Hmm, what went wrong? You thought you were going to do better. He said, well, Dad, it's like this. I run the 330. At my school, we train on a 330-yard track. Here today at this school, the 330 was staked out on a 440-yard course, and I misjudged the race. I started off easy, saving myself, and I started running real hard, too late. The race was over too quick, and when it was over, I had too much left. I hadn't used all that I had. So there it is a parable of life. The tragedy for some will be when all is said and done and this life is over. It won't be that we didn't get enough, but it'll be that we didn't give enough. Some of us will get to the end of life and realize, like that young man, we didn't use all that we had. Anything that is saved in this world will be lost. Isn't that the meaning of the parable of the talents? The servant took one talent and buried it in the ground. The other two put it to work. Anything you save in this world will be lost. Isn't it sad when you hear about someone who has died who had a fortune and left the fortune behind with nobody to leave it to? 
Doesn't the question come to your mind? Why didn't they enjoy their wealth while they had it? It's a cliche, of course, to say you can't take it with you. But what good is it if you hoard it right up until the very end? Anything you save eventually will be lost. That's true with relationships. The saddest words I hear at a funeral, and I hear them too often, are words of regret. I wish I had done more for him or her. I wish I had spent more time with him or her. There's that sense that they understand now that time has run out, but I wish I'd done things differently. Well, there still was time. Now, some of that comes out of a sense of guilt that all of us feel when we lose somebody close. But it's also true that we have so much to give away. Our love, our friendship, our time, that anything we save and keep to ourselves, in a sense, we will lose it. It's true of many parts of our life. The person who sits around the house all the time Saving his or her energy will have less and less energy to save. Often the person who sits around all the time feels more exhausted and more tired than that person who runs around from place to place vigorously doing things and living life. Whatever you save, you will lose. It's a lesson of life and the first paradox I wanted to discuss this morning. A medical doctor once wrote this, if you observe a really happy person, you will find them building a boat, writing a symphony, educating their children, growing flowers in the garden, going swimming, or looking for dinosaur eggs in the Gobi Desert. To find happiness, we must seek for it in a focus outside ourselves." End quote. It is a person who has a purpose for living, who is giving of himself or herself, who is the happiest. Anything that you save, you'll lose. That brings us to the second paradox, and it is related to the first. Anything that you share, you will regain. You will get it back. I've always believed that. We were created for sharing if you want to spend a miserable day, go to an amusement park by yourself. Ride the rides by yourself. See the shows by yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. We all need alone time. It's important, and some of us enjoy alone time. But we also need to spend time with other people. And some things just cannot be enjoyed by yourself. We were created to share. That's why this past year has been so difficult. Because we were created to be together, to share things together. And we've not been able to do that. Wouldn't it be sad to have a beautiful painting? And I wrote this before I heard the news story. Wouldn't it be sad to have a beautiful painting hanging in your house, a Rembrandt or a Picasso? I just saw in the news this week, this happened. Someone had a, was it a, do you remember you're watching the news with me? I can't remember which of the artists it was, but this painting 
was in their closet for years and years and years. They took it out. It's going on auction this coming week, I believe it is. They're thinking that it'll fetch at least $30 million. I think it's a Rembrandt, if I remember correctly, but I'm not positive on that. But it sat there in a closet. How sad to read that someone has an expensive painting like that and hides it in their closet and nobody gets to enjoy it. We saw a picture of the painting and it's a beautiful painting. Someone will purchase that and will, I, I hope will enjoy it and will share it with others. To someone like that though, it uh, might, might be an investment. I don't know if that was the case. But then it's just like a stock or a bond. It's not anything meaningful if you don't share it with others. A work of art should be shared. We want to tell our neighbors. We want to tell other people, come and see this. This is pretty cool. Anything that we share, we will regain. Parents know that the greatest blessing in life is not a gift that our kids give us, but it is what we can give them. That's what really makes us happy. Christmas morning, I don't even need a gift. My enjoyment, and I think all parents' enjoyment on Christmas Day, is to watch the children unwrap the presents and see that look of joy on their face when they got something that they really, really wanted. There's no, nothing like it in the world. When it comes to our kids, those words, it is more blessed to give than receive, are so very, very true. And that's not only true with children. It's true when we share with other adults, too. If we could only begin to really understand that we're all part of the human family, maybe we could begin to understand that always what we give ultimately is given back to us. We were made for sharing. That's how God created us. We certainly ought to know that in church. There's a story told about a giant bridge that was being built across part of New York's harbor. Engineers were trying to figure out where they were going to place the supports in the water that would hold up the bridge. And the best spot, the spot that would work the best, they found there was an old sunken barge that was full of bricks and stones, and it had to be moved. And they tried every device that they had, every machine, everything they had, and they could not get that thing out of the mud it was embedded in. And then one of the engineers had an idea. An engineer, Bill, imagine that. He gathered other barges around the sunken barge, and he chained, they chained them to the sunken barge while the tide was low, and then waited. And the tide came in. And as it did, of course, the water rose, and the higher the water rose, all the barges also rose, and they pulled that old barge out of the mud that was buried in. That might also be a parable about our lives. Chained together, let's say connected together, tied together by the love of Jesus, lifted by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, experiencing the blessings of our Christian faith only as we share it, share it together. Together we accomplish so much more.
I can go out and do things in the community. I can go out and do them every day. But when we work together as a group, as we do so well in this church, and many other churches around us do as well, and other organizations, when we work together, like that barge, like all of those barges gathered around and chained together, when we connect together and we work together, we do great things, don't we? We've done great things here. And we will continue to do great things here. But if we refuse to be joined together, then we won't have that lifting power. Anything we save, we will lose. Anything we share, we'll get it back. I believe that. It never fails in my life that, but, you know, this guy needs $20, but that's all I've got, you know? I really, I'd like to hang on to that because Jim might call me and want to go to lunch or something. Well, he can buy lunch, I guess. So I give the guy 20 bucks, right? It never fails. Somewhere along the way, that $20 and then some comes my way. It might not be immediately, but God always blesses. Always. Anything we share, we get it back. And then one last paradox. He does buy my lunch, by the way. Anything you surrender to God, anything you surrender to God will be blessed. Beyond imagination many times. Like the boy, remember that story of the feeding of the 5,000? The boy shared five barley loaves and two little fish and saw an unimaginable miracle take place. We can surrender anything to God and we'll be given back many times over. There's a little children's book about a couple in England who were buying a new teacup. And I love this story. Obviously, it's a fantasy-type story. The wife, that they were, they were shopping, and they buy this new teacup. And the wife says to her husband as they're looking, look at this one. It's so beautiful, honey. I want to buy it. And the teacup says, ah, uh, but you know what? I wasn't always beautiful. They asked the teacup, what, did, what do you mean? He said, well... Originally, I was just a soggy, ugly, damp lump of clay. They put me on a wheel, and they started spinning me around until my head became dizzy, and then they started to poke and prod, and oh, man, it hurt. And I cried out, stop. But they said, not yet. At last, they stopped the wheel, and I was happy. Then they put me into a furnace. The furnace became hotter and hotter until I thought I could no longer stand it, and I cried out, Stop! They said, Not yet. Finally, they took me out of that furnace, and I was happy again. Then they started putting paint on me, and the fumes from the paint made me sick. It made my head swim, and I cried out, Stop! But they said, no, 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 not yet. And when at long last they finished the painting, they put me back into the furnace again. It was hotter than ever. And I cried out, stop. And they said, no, not yet. Finally, they took me out of the furnace 
And after I had cooled down, they placed me on a tabletop in front of a mirror. I remembered myself as a soggy, ugly, damp lump of clay. When I looked at my image in that mirror, I lost my breath. And I said in amazement, look at me. I'm beautiful. And then I knew that it was only the pain that I went through that had made it possible for me to be this beautiful. What a parable that is for our lives. Whatever we surrender, our pain, our failures, our mistakes, will be blessed by God and transformed. God can take the ugliness and the drabness of our lives and turn our lives into something beautiful. But first, we have to surrender them to God. We have to allow the trips into the furnace. We have to allow the paint. We have to allow the potter's wheel. Not always fun. But if we'll do that, knowing that we are the clay and that God is the potter, what else can happen? But we end up being a beautiful thing. If we yield ourselves to God, it can be something amazing. We might look at a hundred-year-old oak tree and wonder how this beautiful thing ever rose up out of the dead earth. Actually, it didn't. With the help of the earth alone, that tree needed sunlight. It drew nutrients from the earth, to be sure. But the tree is also drawing on the streams of sunlight that flood above it. This light energy is absorbed into the leaf and the blossom and the fiber until this tree grows into a mighty, beautiful oak tree, which gives shade to anybody standing or sitting underneath it. A tree doesn't worry about surrendering itself to the sun. It has no choice. But you and I are given a choice. We, will we surrender? Will we give God our all and all that we hope to be? If we do, we know this. God is the creator of beauty and can take our lives and make something beautiful out of them if we're only willing to surrender. Anything you save, you will lose. Anything you share, you'll get back. And what you to surrender to God, God will bless in a wonderful way. God will transform it into something beautiful every time. Let's think on these things. The second Sunday of Lent. Amen.